Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to find out how you can volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter Some Experiences of an Irish R.M. by Edith Enoni Somerville and Martin Ross Chapter 11 Occasional Licenses "'It's out of the question,' I said looking forbiddingly at Mrs. Maloney through the spokes of the bicycle that I was pumping up outside the grocer's in Skibourne. "'Well, indeed, Major Yates,' said Mrs. Maloney, advancing excitedly and placing on the nickel plating a hand that I had good and recent cause to know was warm. "'Sure, I know well that if the angel Gabriel came down from heaven looking for a licence for the races, your honour wouldn't give it to him without a character.' "'But as for Michael, sure the world knows what Michael is.' I had been waiting for Philippa for already nearly half an hour, and my temper was not of the best. "'Character or no character, Mrs. Maloney,' said I with asperity. "'The magistrates have settled to give no occasional licences, and if Michael were as sober as—' "'Is it sober? God help us!' exclaimed Mrs. Maloney, with an upward rolling of her eyes to the recording angel. "'I'll tell your honour the truth. I'm his wife now, fifteen years, and I never seen the sign of drink on Michael only once. And that was when he went out of good nature helping Timsey Ryan to whitewash his house. And Timsey and himself had a couple of pots of water, and, look, he was as little used to it as his head got light, and he walked away out to drive in the cows at no more than eleven o'clock in the day.' "'and the cows the creatures as much surprised going hither and over the four corners of the road from him. "'Faith, you'd have to laugh. "'Michael,' says I to him, "'you're drunk.' "'I am,' says he, "'and the tears rained from his eyes. "'I turned the cows from him. "'Go home,' I says, "'and lie down on Willie Tom's bed.' "'At this affecting point my wife came out of the grocer's "'with a large parcel to be strapped to my handlebar.' and the history of Mr. Maloney's solitary lapse from sobriety got no further than Willie Tom's bed. 
"'You see,' I said to Philippa, as we bicycled quietly home through the hot June afternoon, "'we've settled we'll give no licences for the sports. Why, even young Sheehy, who owns three pubs in Skibourne, came to me, and said he hoped the magistrates would be firm about it, as these one-day licences were quite unnecessary, and only led to drunkenness and fighting, and every man on the bench has joined in promising not to grant any.' "'How nice, dear!' said Philippa absently. "'Do you know Mrs. Macdonald can only let me have three dozen cups and saucers? I wonder if that will be enough.' "'Do you mean to say you expect three dozen people?' said I. "'Oh, well, it's always well to be prepared,' replied my wife evasively. During the next few days I realised the true inwardness of what it was to be prepared for an entertainment of this kind. Games were not at a high level in my district. Football— of a wild gorilla species was waged intermittently, blended in some inextricable way with home rule and a brass band. And on Sundays gatherings of young men rolled a heavy round stone along the roads, a rudimentary form of sport, whose fascination lay primarily in the fact that it was illegal, and in lesser degree in betting on the length of each roll. I had had a period of enthusiasm during which I thought I was going to be the apostle of cricket in the neighbourhood, but my mission dwindled to single wicket with Peter Gaduggan, who was indulgent but bored, and I swiped the ball through the dining-room window, and someone took one of the stumps to poke the laundry fire. Once a year, however, on that festival of the Roman Catholic Church, which is familiarly known as Peter and Paul's Day, the district was wont to make a spasmodic effort at athletic sports, which were duly patronised by the gentry and promoted by the publicans, and this year the honour of a steward's green rosette was conferred upon me. Philippa's genius for hospitality here saw its chance, and broke forth into unbridled tea-party, in connection with the sports, even involving me in the hire of a tent, the conveyances of chairs and tables, and other large operations. It chanced that Flurry Knox had, on this occasion, lent the fields for the sports, with the proviso that horse-races and tug-of-war were to be added to the usual programme. Flurry's participation in events of this kind seldom failed to be of an inflaming character. As he and I planted larch spars for the high jump, and stuck furze-bushes into hurdles, locally known as hurls, and skirmished hourly with people who wanted to sell drink on the course, I thought that my next summer leave would singularly coincide with the festival consecrated to St. Peter and St. Paul. We made a grandstand of quite four feet high out of old fish-boxes, which smelt worse and worse as the day wore on, but was, none the less, as sought after by those for whom it was not intended, as is the royal enclosure at Ascot. We broke gaps in all the fences to allow carriages onto the ground, we armed a gang of the worst blackguards in Skibourne with cart-whips to keep the course, and felt that organisation could go no further. The momentous day of Peter and Paul opened badly, with heavy clouds and every indication of rain. But after a few thunder-showers things brightened, and it seemed within the bounds of possibility that the weather might hold up. When I got down to the course on the day of the sports— the first thing I saw was a tent of that peculiar filthy grey that usually enshrines the sale of porter, with an array of barrels in a crate beside it. I bore down upon it in all the indignant majesty of the law, 
and in so doing came upon Flurry Knox, who was engaged in flogging boys off the grandstand. "'She he's gone one better than you,' he said, without taking any trouble to conceal the fact that he was amused. "'She he,' I said, "'why, she he was the man who went to every magistrate in the country to ask them to refuse a licence for the sports.' "'Yes, he took some trouble to prevent anyone else having a look in,' replied Flurry. "'He asked every magistrate but one, and that was the one that gave him the licence. "'You don't mean to say that it was you?' I demanded, in high wrath and suspicion, remembering that she he bred horses, and that my friend Mr. Knox was a person of infinite resource in the matter of a deal. "'Well, well,' said Flurry, rearranging a disordered fish-box, "'and me that's a churchwarden and sprained my ankle a month ago with running downstairs at my grandmother's to be in time for prayers. Where's the use of a good character in this country?' "'Not much when you keep it eating its head off for want of exercise,' I retorted. "'But if it wasn't you, who was it?' "'Do you remember old Moriarty out at Castle Isle?' I remembered him extremely well, as one of those representatives of the people, with whom a paternal government had leavened the effete ranks of the Irish magistracy. "'Well,' resumed Flurry, "'that licence was as good as a five-pound note in his pocket.' I permitted myself a comment on Mr. Moriarty, suitable to the occasion. "'Oh, that's nothing,' said Flurry easily. "'He told me one day, when he was half-screwed, that his commission of the piece was worth a hundred and fifty a year to him in turkeys and whisky, and he was telling the truth for once.' At this point Flurry's eye wandered, and following its direction I saw Lady Knox's smart bus cleaving its way through the throng of country people, lurching over the ups and downs of the fields like a ship in a sea. I was too blind to make out the component parts of the white froth that crowned it on top, and seethed forth from it when it had taken up a position near the tent in which Philippa was even now propping the legs of the tea-table. But from the fact that Flurry addressed himself to the door, I argued that Miss Sally had gone inside. Lady Knox's manner had something more than its usual bleakness— she had brought, as she promised, a large contingent, but from the way that the strangers within her gates melted impalpably, and left me to deal with her single-handed, I drew the further deduction that all was not well. "'Did you ever in your life see such a gang of women as I have brought with me?' she began, with her wonted directness, as I piloted her to the grandstand, and placed her on the stoutest-looking of the fish-boxes. "'I have no patience with men who yacht.' "'Bernard Shute has gone off to the Clyde, and I had counted on his being a man at my dance next week. "'I suppose you'll tell me that you're going away, too,' I assured Lady Knox, "'that I would be a man to the best of my ability. "'This is the last dance I shall give,' went on her ladyship, unappeased. "'The men in this country consist of children and cads.' "'I admitted that we were a poor lot. "'But,' I said, "'Miss Sally told me—' "'Sally's a fool!' said Lady Knox, with a falcon eye at her daughter, who happened to be talking to her distant kinsman, Mr. Flurry, of that ilk. The races had by this time begun with a competition known as the Hop, Step, and Lip. This, judging by the yells, was a highly interesting display. But as it was conducted between two impervious rows of onlookers, the aristocracy on the fish-boxes saw nothing save the occasional purple face of a competitor starting into view above the wall of backs like a jack-in-the-box. For me, however, the odorous sanctuary of the fish-boxes was not to be. 
I left it guarded by slipper, with a cart-whip of flail-like dimensions, as disreputable an object as could be seen out of low comedy, with someone's old white cords on his bandy legs, butcher boots three sizes too big for him, and a black eye. The small boys fled before him. In the glory of his office he would have flailed his own mother off the fish-boxes had occasion served. I had an afternoon of decidedly mixed enjoyment. My stewardship blossomed forth like Aaron's rod, and added to itself the duties of starter, handicapper, general referee, and chucker-out, besides which I from time to time strove with emissaries who came from Philippa with messages about water and kettles. Flurry and I had to deal single-handed with the foot-races, our brothers in office being otherwise engaged at Mr. Sheehy's, a task of many difficulties, chiefest being that the spectators all swept forward at the word go, and ran the race with the competitors, yelling curses, blessings, and advice upon them, taking shortcuts over anything and 